0: From Battlefield Studio Alpha, welcome to the Wartime Leadership Podcast, where we explore what spiritual resilience looks like from different perspectives. We often focus on the physical, emotional, and social areas of resiliency, but too often we neglect the spiritual pillar. Now, this looks different for everyone. We will be exploring what spiritual resilience looks like in the lives of our guests, who are people from all different walks of life. I'm your host, Nathan Coy, and this season has been sponsored by Success Draft, where we help you transform your dreams into drafted plans. Head over to successdraft.com to get started on your future today. Hey folks, we have hit a milestone. This is the first episode of 2023. Ooh, that's crazy! 2023. Now we're obviously we're recording this slightly before. In fact, uh, my friend today is Karen. Uh, she's actually one of my wife's best friends, and her husband Dan is one of my best friends. But they have decided to up and leave us from South Carolina and return back to Ohio. Now, here's the funny thing: they're Ohio State fans, and uh, today happens to be the day that Ohio State got beat by Michigan. <laughs> makes it even better
1: oh it's terrible
0: see you moved back you moved away from
1: here and all of a sudden they lost again yeah it's not not my doing i didn't watch (laughs) well i watched a little bit of the game but it's not my it's not my fault
0: you probably heard dan most of the time just
1: (laughs) i was shopping today was was a, a nice quiet shopping day where everyone in this in this area was glued to a tv so i was out there shopping with a couple other wives and my son so it was a good day well it's
0: it's great to see you and and i know that it's a nice warm day in ohio which is very very rare for the winter so you okay. said tomorrow it'll probably be negative two
1: yes yes if they say if you don't like the weather in ohio wait about 15 minutes and it'll uh it'll certainly change so it was a nice you know city. it's actually
0: it's funny that you say that because of the fact that Will Rogers was the one who said that, and he was speaking about Oklahoma weather, but it almost seemed like everywhere that he went, he would say it. If you don't like the weather in Ohio, yeah. just stay 15. It'll uh, change.
1: Yeah.
0: Don't like the weather in Washington. Just stay 15 minutes. It's, it'll change.
1: Yeah, that's definitely not original. It's not <laughs> at all. It's, it's not.
0: Well, hey Karen, you know how this works because you have been a faithful listener since episode 1 and I'm so grateful to have you and now we get to I get to be a part of helping you tell part of your story, part of your testimony. And I'm really looking forward to it. But you know how it is, before we get into that, we have to ask the random questions. Okay. And and now these are actually <laughs> completely random now because I have a random question generator. Okay. So, question one: If you were stranded on an island, um, what is one item that you would take with you?
1: Um, I would take, uh, although I wouldn't have cell service. I well, I guess I couldn't take my cell phone because how could I charge it? I would, I would take something so that I could listen to music. You know, it, it would be something. So if it's a Walkman, but I, I don't know how it would. I'd have to have a lifetime <laughs> supply of batteries. <laughs> I don't know, but yeah, we're so not air
0: dropping them. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I can't. Um, I can't really go long periods of time, especially solitary time, without music. You know, without being able to sing or being able to, you know, just have that any kind of music. I'm I'm down.
0: Well, now I was about to say, like, you have an absolutely beautiful voice, and you play oh, the you, you play the keyboard. So, I mean, thank you me could you. almost just imagine it.
1: I could. Yeah. I could just make my own music, I suppose. So, all right. So thanks for poo pooing on that. Um, I, I <laughs> guess I would say a hairdryer, <laughs> a hairdryer and a forever outlet. That would be. I was about to say, an and you're
0: going to plug it into the coconut tree that's giving you shade. Absolutely. Congratulations.
1: I'm going to be the first uh. one to, to c- conduct energy from a coconut. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that the right yeah. word?
0: Forget about you, Gilligan, and Dr. <laughs> whatever your name was. Ha ha. Three hour tour. What is your favorite movie?
1: Um. Oh, gosh. Um, my favorite comedy. It's so inappropriate. <laughs> it's old school. <laughs> and, oh. and I know it's very inappropriate, but it's just it makes me laugh so much. Will Ferrell. I mean, it's just, it's some of the most ridiculous things that I didn't have college years. I didn't live on campus and that kind of stuff. It was definitely always what I had dreamed of is having that type of experience in college. And just the fact that they were in their forties and doing it, it cracked me up. Um, (laughs) You know, I have a lot of other girly movies that I love too, but I would say I love comedy. So that would be my favorite.
0: I could even see Dan, you know, being in one of those types of situations.
1: Um, I, You know, he's very low-key, Dan. I, he's very conscientious and low-key, and he just would prefer to just keep it chill. I mean, he's yeah, a chill Yeah, but man. I
0: could see him get, I, I've seen him get riled up.
1: Yeah. Oh, him. yeah. Yeah, put some sports in there and, you know... Maybe The
0: Browns or the Indians seltzer. or whatever they're called now. What are they now? The Guardians?
1: Well, the, Gar- the Indians are now the Guardians. So they're no longer <sighs> the Cleveland Guardians. And they're still the Cleveland Browns. Thank you for asking. <laughs>
0: so. As bad as they are in any other season, they are absolutely the Cleveland Browns.
1: They're still the Browns.
0: Oh boy! All right. Well, let's see what else we can ask you here. Hey, I'm giving you two plane tickets. One is to somewhere that you've already been, and one is to somewhere that you have never been. Where are those two tickets to?
1: Um, I would want to go back to Cozumel mm. for sure. Um, just because the last time we were there, it was just so calming and relaxing, and I, it was just it was gorgeous. It was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful time with my husband. So, I mean, just that whole experience was great. So I would want to go back and just relive that again. Um, Somewhere I've never been, I've always wanted to go to Greece. I don't have any Mm. ties to Greece. I've just always heard growing up that it was 70 degrees every single day of the year and sunny, which I know is not necessarily true, but I just love that type of weather, kind of South Carolina weather, you know, nine months out of the year, it's a nice 70 degrees you know so i not greece would just be beautiful i love that ancient history type of stuff mm-hmm. so yeah have you been to greece
0: i have not been yeah. my parents went they they were blessed to be able to go but not us
1: mm-hmm. not yet not yet
0: not yet, I'm yet because i'm saying yet because it's gonna happen Yeah, it's gonna happen all right what's the worst job you've ever had
1: um, oh gosh, I've been so lucky to have some really good long term jobs. So it's going to have to be early on when I was a kid when I first got a job was, I might have been 16. And it was uh, the Whipple Dairy in Canton. And it was basically just a dairyette, you know, a little thing where, you know, saw little softball teams would come up and you'd have to twist the cones. And um, there was a manager who was Uh, I I don't want to say her name was Whipple, but it wasn't. But she was part of the family who owned a whole bunch of the Whipple Barbershop, the Whipple Dairy, the Whipple everything. She was part of the family. It was like a family business. So she was always there. And it was all us teenagers, a bunch of 16-year-old giggly girls. And she was so strict and so so mad at me all the time because I just couldn't get the swirl just right. And I couldn't get the whole concept of swirling and pulling down. And it was stress every day <laughs> going to this cute little dairy. I, I didn't last long if for sure. I don't even la- know if it lasted a summer, but uh, I, I, I don't do well under stress and pressure. I'm a perfectionist. So everything just, I want that swirl to be perfect. So, <laughs> and then when someone questions that and says, is your heart not in it? You know, I'm like, it really is. I swear it is.
0: I, I would've been I like this. no.
1: Oh, it was I wanted it to be a perfect swirl. And yeah. Anyway, like, that, I would This say that is would absolutely be amazing.
0: You, you know, we we actually talked about this that there was going to be a lot of learning today on my part because <laughs> I've known you for 3 years. I've known I know you and yeah. this whole day is going to be nothing but learning more about Karen. And speaking of uh earlier and and background, what what is your background? Just kind of walk us through uh, who Karen is and where you've come from, stuff you've gone through. Uh, just kind of bring us up to the current.
1: Oh, okay. Um, so like I said, get the laugh track ready. <laughs> just kidding. Don't, don't do it. I, um, oh. <laughs> so where I come from, so I was born and raised in Canton, Ohio. And if you know anything about the National Football League, you know Canton, Ohio as the home of the, Hall of Fame, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and I always felt like Canton was like, ah, nothing special ever happens here. But really, the older I got, I got to see up close at the parade, of course. We would go to the big parade every year. Jim Kelly, right there. <laughs> I mean, just rolling down Cleveland Avenue. like Or like uh, Anthony Munoz, like some of my favorite players. Like you could just see them. They were there. Tom Landry, like they were there. So it was really exciting. If you love football, certainly there's a lot of other attributes for Canton, but, um, you know, I, I just become a sports fan because of it. Um, So just my mom and dad were both from the area. Their parents were from the area. Uh, They, my dad was army. Um, He was military police. I don't think I've ever told you that, but he, I guess that would be, uh, I don't know what era that would be, but he was sixties. So he graduated in 64. Uh, My dad, Jim and Joyce were their names. And um, my brother's name was Jerry, which is funny because I always felt a little bit odd because of the Jim, Joyce, Jerry, and Karen. I always wanted to be a Jennifer. (laughs) You know, I thought that'd be fun. (laughs) Or Judy, anything. (laughs) Judy, Judy, Judy. Anything with a J. Yeah, I just wanted to be a part of the family. (laughs) So they got married um, after he, you know, finished his, his service. My dad was uh, he was a really multifaceted faceted dude. He was um, in high school. He was a gymnast, which was I thought I think would be rare for a boy. But he said he could walk on his hands all the way across the gym and back. And he was uh, uh, he was a mechanic. He was a carpenter. He he was a musician. Um, a great musician. He was in a band. He was a singer. He was handsome. He was smart. He just had it going on. My mom, you know, wasn't much to, uh, to slouch about either. She was a pretty young girl. She kind of had a rough family life. Um, but she, um, left, you know, home after they got married and she brought along a couple of her youngest siblings to finish out their high school careers, you know, so she sort of let them live with her while my dad was overseas. So when I was born, I think one of my aunts still lived with us. You know, she was sort of raising those kids too. Um, you know, after they had us, I guess their lifestyle was sort of 70s party mode, you know, like my, my dad's a musician. So a lot of time at, you know, playing out at bars and clubs and, they one of my favorite things, is, I think the reason I love music so much is that there was always so much loud personality in music. Like the, the people that I were I was surrounded by, they were just um, larger than life to me. Like I remember my dad inviting some guys over, and we had an old upright piano. And I didn't know, I was little, I don't remember what age, let's say three or four but I remember being right beside the piano and a man with long hair, I just remember thinking he looks like John Lennon. Like (laughs) It could have been, sat down and played Let It Be and sang it. And I thought it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. And for him to be able to play and sing at the same time, it completely blew my mind away. And it's not like I was like, oh, then I wanted to learn how to play, piano you know, and sing. It, it was just an amazing thing to be around. Um, you know, my mom would wake me up because I would fall asleep. I, she would put us to bed, the schools on Monday, but the guys would still be playing down in the basement or wherever. And I couldn't hear him from my room, but I remember sneaking to the top of the stairs and laying down <laughs> and listening to him play. And my mom would wake me up in the middle of the night and pick me up and take me back to my room. Cause I just wanted to hear their voices just to hear them talking, you know, you know, when you, if you're in the car, you're little and you lay your head on your mom's chest and you hear her talking like that kind of sound, like that muffled, I just, I loved it. So it was just, we were just surrounded by music and eight tracks and vinyl. <laughs> so, um, But, you know, that, of course, that kind of lifestyle for my parents, my mom spent more time with us as we were growing up. My dad was still in a band. Um, they, they, They didn't always go out together. So, you know, there was always that tension where my dad would go out and come home and, you know, you were out late, that kind of stuff when we were small. Um, some arguments, some fights, just because, you know, where you been and, well, it's not your business. You know where I was, that kind of stuff. You know, it wasn't anything um, too terrible that I can remember being really young, but I do remember it just escalating. So my dad was a mechanical engineer for a big oil refinery right there in Canton. And uh, he fell from Um, a machine, I guess it was a couple stories high. And the way he explained it, he landed flat-footed on the cement is how he explained it. And it, of course, popped his hip out of socket, shattered his um, hip and part of his femur. And it it was a mess. So he had to have hip replacement surgery really early, I guess. He was born in 46. So this happened in the early 70s. So he was young. So he changed from being the full time, you know, breadwinner to my mom, where she worked. She was a pharmacy transcriptionist. She worked more outside the house. She got a job at the Timken Company, which was a really big um, company there in Canton, like a a steel plant. So she got a job there doing assembly work. And my dad then was um, disabled. You know, he was at home all the time. So the roles changed, um, but the party drinking kind of turned into day drinking, and of course, day drinking turned into you know the band sort of fizzled out. We all have kids now, so I'll just drink at home alone. And and um, you know, I, I mean, if somebody says the word alcoholic, I don't imagine my dad as an alcoholic, but. Now, what I know, he had a lot of those tendencies. He was going through severe depression, um, I'm sure quite a bit of anxiety. uh, And like I said, he was super smart. So I think now, because I'm an adult, he just didn't have an outlet for those things anymore. And again, his friends had all moved on, maybe because he wasn't able to go out as much, or he was trying to be a family guy, trying to stay home. But it just—it ended up being a lot of resentment, you know, at home. And suddenly, uh, gosh, to—I to, guess—to describe it, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But some people say, like walking on eggshells um, with someone who has acute anxiety is—is is kind of that. It's that feel. Yeah. But eggshells wasn't even the word <laughs> I wouldn't say it wasn't. At least eggshells you expect something, you expect a crack or a crunch underneath. Like I would come home from school and I guess I'd be, you know, early teens. And if I said hi to my daddy, which I was daddy's girl, you know, we were so similar. Um, we loved the same things he cooked and, you know, he was my, he was my daddy. But if I said, you know, hi, and he wasn't in a mood, you know, it was okay but if i said hi and he was in some kind of a mood i would you would i would know it you know i guess i i don't know how to explain it it was so volatile you know he was volatile if i didn't say hi it could set him off and he was already in a good mood so it was like my actions dictated his emotional response that's the y- best way
0: your action drove his reaction
1: yes yeah, and so I was terrified. I so what I did best was kind of sit back and not cause any reaction at all. So I ended up being uh, very introverted. Um, and my mom's very outgoing. She's the life of the party. She still is. She's so funny and just a, a, a just a ball to be around. Um, but. I think what I did was sort of, like I said, just kind of took a back seat, and I sort of wait for the response. I wait to see, and now it's unintentional. I, I don't want to. I never want to um, put anyone out, even when I'm driving. I don't want to cut anyone off. I'm like I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like it's just like it's it. It was just a natural reaction, you know. Like I love my dad so much. I didn't want to see him. Upset, so just avoiding avoidance was my biggest um, power, I guess, at the time. So, anyway, um, wow. So I, that's it,
0: that's a lot. To, I mean, even in that short little bit, is is a huge. Uh, that's a lot of new information for me. You know, but I mean, we see that a lot in the military with a lot of the when you when you take somebody's mission away or when somebody loses their mission, they 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 become lost and they don't really know so in the case of your dad you see you see that on on multiple different fronts where now his breadwinningness is taken away from him and he just tries to adapt to what's there with him and you it's it, it almost seems like it was really really hard on you to be able to see that adjustment over that period of time because you started to see how your dad started to treat you yeah. in reaction to a lot of that
1: yeah yeah, for sure. You know, and when you're going through it, you don't see it. And honestly, that's funny you say you're just learning these things in the last three years. You know, you've only known me for a couple of years. You're learning some new things. I recently just sort of came to terms and learning some of these. Why did I act react the way that I did? Um, I used to hate my dad. I used to think I wish he just wouldn't come home. Like... I didn't wish hurt and harm or terrible disease on him. I just wished he didn't he would just go away. Like and and let us be. My mm. my brother also just w- felt very uh he's a year and a half older than me, so he was into a lot of the things my dad was too. Weight lifting and bodybuilding and wrestling. So I guess there was a little bit of competition, which you would think would be sort of healthy competition like getting your boy you know, strong and whatever male gender stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry. So um, anyway, I I think that there, he was also, my my brother was more um, drawn to my mom where he would get his comfort from my mom. Um, My dad was my comfort, you know, so it just, it did kind of dwindle away, but I didn't see it happening while it was happening. I'm just like learning, oh, okay, this is, and it's, it is so cliche to say, oh, I went through therapy and they tell me about your dad. It's just, it's in every comedic thing ever. Get the laugh track ready. But like, honestly, um, I don't blame my dad for anything. And that's what I've come to terms with. I, I used to, like I said, I used to hate him. And then I, for a long time, I really resented my mom thinking she could have left him. You know, they divorced just before their 25th anniversary, and I was in my 20s and already had a child of my own Wow! when, yeah, when they separated. It was very, uh, very physical. Uh, You know, she felt very threatened, and she was. So uh, it really escalated over the years. So I really resented my mom for a long time, and it did change how I saw myself as a wife and how I wanted my kids to see me. And I made some pretty reckless decisions based on uh, that resentment and that um, just, I just didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. And I didn't want them to resent me because of how my husband treated me. Um, so it did later. Um, you know. So again, I'm, I don't blame him because even you saying what you said about losing your mission, losing your dream, I'm sure he had a lot of dreams and he said a lot of things to me growing up, you know, like I wanted to study music in college and he said, well, well, any good parent would say, okay, do you want to be a performer or do you want to be a teacher? Because it's two different things. Mm, Being a performer mm -hmm. is one in a million. If you want to make it big, you know, and back then in the eighties, we all wanted to be, you know, (laughs) I wanted to be Miss Whitney Houston, number two. Like I wanted to do that. I wanted to be the leader of a band, a Joan Jett. You know, I just, I wanted to do that. Um, in reality, I knew that probably wasn't, I wasn't lucky enough, but uh, just some of the things that you, you think, oh, I'd never tell my kids what my parents told me. I'll never say that to them. He said to me, oh boy, I just, I don't think you have what it takes. And that's all I heard. What he meant to say was, it's one in a million chance to get found. You live in Canton, Ohio. We'd have to move you to Nashville. Like He never quite finished that, or maybe he did finish it, and I just only heard the bad part. I heard that, I, and his dream was gone. So I think for me, if I would have been able to live that dream some parents would go 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 do it um where his reaction was more like no i was on that track and it broke my heart so i don't want it to do that to you too so he sort of shut that down it's kind
0: of kind of like what we say a lot with our son hurt people hurt people and yes. and and dad was hurt a lot mm-hmm. yeah. and and so in turn it's not that he wanted to hurt you, but it was more of a reality check of rip off the band-aid done.
1: yeah, yep, exactly. and i've I've said things to my kids with every good intention to protect them, um, like, oh, maybe you don't want to do that. And it still, I hear about it, you know, my my oldest is thirty, my youngest is twenty five, you know, thereabouts, and <clears throat> I still hear, remember when you said that to me, Like oh really? Like it really affects you know?
0: It's more of a protection in your case. Like you're 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 seriously trying to protect, but words matter.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they mattered especially from him because he was my daddy. Like I said, so um, I, I would say about third fourth grade, my mama thought it would be a good idea to take the kids to church. I mean, they have seen stuff, you know. My mom. Woke us up in the middle of the night, put us in the car in our pajamas and took a trip down to the bar to see if my dad was there. She went in, gave him her two cents, came back out, drove us back home. And we'd seen some stuff. We'd heard some stuff. Um, And she thought it was a good time. So we started attending this little Pentecostal church, a little tiny um, thing. The preacher was, I would say, about 15 years away from retirement. But man, I never... Like he was one of those preachers that was soft-spoken and you knew to listen when he spoke, you know, it was just, he, he just didn't command power or respect. There was just something about him that was so knowledgeable. And even as a third, fourth grader, I just adored him and his wife and his family, his daughter played the piano. It was just a small church. But my mom got to know a couple, and because they became friends, kind of like the two of us becoming friends with you and Lena, you know, it just kind of gave them community, gave my dad a reason to come to church. So he started coming to church, you know, probably a good six months after we did. He got real involved in, um, The running sound. He bought the church. He donated a giant sound system, which was way too big for the small church. But he had an up and coming 10 year old who was going to be a beautiful soloist in the church. So he bought this beautiful sound system and had that special reverb coming off the rafters. And it made me sound like Amy Grant, like (laughs) 2.0. It was great. So, and he, you know, he, he played guitar for me and I sang. We had tracks back then. And, you know, a lot of my um I would say a lot of my confidence came from performing in church in a little place where no one judged you. They were just nodding and smiling at you and, you know, whether you sounded great or not. But you know, I knew I sounded good. I knew because it moved me, you know, it it something was moving in me. Um, something was lighting in me, you know, when I sang, but especially that the songs that I chose, I was always a really serious kid, um, not mature at all, but I was just serious. You know, when all the other kids in the youth group wanted to get baptized, because it was the thing to do, everyone was, we're all saved. Let's go get baptized. Uh, and I was like, uh, I don't want to do it because everyone else is doing it. Um, so I was, of course, like, "Why are you so dramatic, Karen?" And I was so dramatic. But I, I bowed out when everyone else got baptized. I wanted to make sure it was serious for me, and maybe I just wanted to be in the spotlight. Didn't want to share. I don't know. <laughs> I was a girl. I <laughs> mean, I mean, you, know, I mean, you me.
0: were the you were the Amy Grant 2.0. So
1: I was. <laughs> I sounded like it is uh, all smoke and mirrors. Well, here's here's, so, the, here's
0: the real question, though. Early 90s, did you have the big hair?
1: Oh, I, I had great hair. Well, once my mom stopped doing my perms for me, uh. <laughs> I there's a picture somewhere. It was eighth grade, right before high school. Oh, bless them. So my mom uh, said, let's go get you a body wave, which is kind of what I have now, a little curly wave. You know, mm-hmm. my hair was... Poker straight, like very straight, very dark black. You know, I had bangs. It was I don't know. I wasn't trying to look like Cher, but (laughs) because it was happening. So she, I had shorter hair, which I liked, made me feel all grown up in the eighth grade. But she wanted to do a body wave just before pictures, which is the worst possible time. Do it in the summer. So she did. But my body wave turned out to be, uh. It was, it was very tight curls all over my little short head and short hair. I remember the cutest boy in school was Brian. Um, I won't say his last name, but <laughs> he sat in front of me in in class and a history class. And he turned around and said, Did you stick your finger in a light sock? It's the worst possible thing oh, any cute boy could say to a girl. And I, of course, I was terrified. I was shy. I just sat there like, uh, you know, a statue. I was, oh, it was awful. It's terrible.
0: Oh, that hurts. So, yeah. I would love to see and that I picture though. A, Sorry.
1: I'll find it. And I did have big hair, so you'll get to see that too. I, my senior picture, I was a, I was a smoke show man. I had <laughs> I had the hair, I had the little curl and the, the bangs and I had the wavy long hair. And yeah, I was, I was a little more like, um, uh, I guess, Oh, I can't remember her name. Debbie Gibson type of thing, uh, you know. Yep. I was a little more on the calm side of it, but I liked the big earrings and the bright pants. That was fun. Oh, yeah. We had. Oh
0: uh, no, I was just about to say something, and I really—I'll tell you afterwards, just because. Okay. Yeah, I just just remind me of bright colored pants, and I'll remember how to, what to tell you. Oh,
1: hammer pants.
0: Oh, uh, my mom. Listen, <laughs> listen, I'm going to get made fun of because of this so bad. My <laughs> my mom used to make like my, my clothes, like, you know, I mean, we, we didn't grow up poor, but we didn't grow up rich. It was just one of those in-betweens. Yeah. And she actually used to make me pants. And it was back when MC hammer was huge in like I, fifth, yeah. sixth grade. And let parachute. me tell you, I used to go home. I used to go to school with those parachute pants. That was a horrible yeah. idea. <laughs> Hor- <laughs> now I'm going to really know who listens to the show. Cause they're going to reach out to me and tell me, what? I heard about your MC you pants.
1: Uh huh, and you know, she went to the the fabric store and oh, picked yeah. out the funkiest colors, probably bright pink with like the little black squiggles. I
0: even had the gold, you know, the little like yes. uh, oh yeah. yeah, oh it was primo. <laughs> let me tell you,
1: yes. So oh, perfect. So your
0: dad, he he bought all this equipment, made you sound really good yeah. for the church. Everything was going well. What sounds like a relatively yeah. normal childhood.
1: Yeah, you know, and, and seeing how other families. Interacted with each other because my mom and dad were, like I said, they were they were life at the party. They were fun. They were nice people, so they were invited to all the young adult parties, and um, we got to go along. And I, I just seeing how husbands treated wives and how they treated their kids, and just seeing like Christians in a home was so foreign to me. Um, it, was, it was so weird because it was almost like a a, a little light switch. We would go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And, uh, and you're shaking your head. Yeah, we were at church a lot when we were growing up. Sunday, um,
0: Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night.
1: Sometimes Sunday morning was like a lunch. And then there was maybe a revival coming up. So we had to get ready for that. And then Monday through Friday, we were at church. Yep. So, but going home, it was the same. It was still, this. it was this, the same thing I just explained to you. It was, uh, you know, my dad was still a heavy smoker and that was just an addiction, you know, he, from way back. Um, so we would always have to try to air the house out before their friends would come over. We'd have to hide the ashtrays. I know, I'm certain now, I know they reeked, we reeked of it. I know it was not a, a secret, I'm sure, that we all, you know, smelled like the smoky family, but. Like our home life was different. Like, again, like I said, it was like a light switch. Like it was, and people in the church, and I wouldn't say they were all older. There were a lot of people my, my parents' age, and not many my age, just a few, would look at me and say, oh, your kids, they're so well-behaved. They're so mature. They're such good Christians, you know? And, you know, we, we were in youth group. You know, I was absorbing some of it. Um, I knew, I heard about Jesus, you know, I heard about, you know, good and bad. I heard about God. I heard about judgment, but, you know, God as a father to me seemed a little volatile and God in general seemed a little volatile, even until recently, honestly, there was this idea of the image of God. Like, you know, I knew Noah and I knew Adam and Eve and I knew Jonah and for each of those, didn't end up great for really any of them, you know, living on a boat with a bunch of animals and yeah, and in your family and, for, and
0: family. I, yeah, I was about to say and, and family. I think that would have been like the hardest part. <laughs>
1: and your dad, yeah, 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 you know. And then Jonah got eaten by a whale. Like you know, I saw all the felt. <laughs> we went through all the felt stories, you know, like what Veggie Tales kind of stuff is now. We, I, I. So it just seemed like God was like a you know, rightfully, he was the creator of everything. He could judge us if he wanted to. So to me, being good meant not causing any waves, not uh, doing anything bad, because boy, you don't want to bring on wrath, not at home. Um, you know, you, you don't want the belt, you don't want the paddle. Um, you know, my dad wasn't just randomly abusive to us, but he was a disciplinarian and um, depending on the time there were certain things. It just didn't seem like it was consistent. Some things were okay and some things weren't okay, but they were the same thing. I can't think of like a, you know, like my brother would get caught smoking and he would get a talking to and, you know, and I would get caught smoking and I get the belt, you know, like you just treated a daughter differently, you know, like um, anyway. Well, I but, think it's the so, stigma
0: of, a, a man versus a, a lady. Be a
1: lady. Right. Yeah.
0: I think, obviously, yeah. that, that still grew up in that stigma type.
1: Right. Yeah. So I think what I was learning at this time um, was how to keep secrets. I was learning how to, that secrets are okay in certain circumstances. Not all of them, but some of them protect. I don't even that we never had a conversation like protect the family, protect our image. We never had that conversation, but it was certainly implied. You know, don't you know, just clean up and don't invite any of your friends. I never had friends over. Um, so for me, again, like I said, I was always so serious. There was, there was this deep, deep shame. Is the only word I can think that was just starting a seed at that time. And this time when I was supposed to be experiencing who God was and learning it, I was just entrenched in it. You know, I was finding music and I was learning um, all of this from just a beautiful Pentecostal church. Like, and we were talking about emotions a little bit earlier, you know, how my, my behavior made him react in a certain way. You know, uh, my dad, church was a lot like that to me too. The only time I really felt what you would call the presence of God in a Pentecostal church is when everything was amped up, you know, the music was going and you were just like, just on an emotional high, you know, that's when I really felt the presence of God. But then when I left and after lunch and after, you know, things settle down, we started watching the Browns game, you know, like the, it was like, there's what God, he didn't come home with us, you know, like it was separate, but for other people, it seemed like that was different. Like our family was the only one who was different. Is wow. It felt like
0: you just said something so profound, <laughs> you know,
1: that the Browns. No,
0: well, no, no not about, God, not sorry. about the Browns for sure. Uh, but you okay. said that. Unlike other people, God didn't come home with you. Yeah. That that's it's I different. I think that that's the way I think a lot of people think that uh Christian life is so easy. Christian life is is so easy to get through life because you've done X, Y, and Z. But if you haven't grown up with that reality, it, it is kind of like that. It's kind of like, well, God's God didn't go home with us. He didn't He didn't come with us. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't get, yeah. he didn't get in the back of the station wagon and, and join yeah. us on the way home. Uh, so, yeah. so then real quick, this is, I think a perfect moment to be able to bring up, how do you define spiritual resiliency then?
1: Um, so based on just my personal experience, because that's the only thing that I obviously you're asking my personal experience for me Spiritual resiliency, it right now has to do for me with the presence of God. like Understanding who God is defines who I am. So knowing that he is not that God that is just judging me. He is a God who didn't want to judge me. So he sent a savior for me, you know, because he didn't want to stand there and say, I need, I have to send you to hell. There's no way that I can't because you cannot be with me. He sent his son and he made a huge sacrifice for me. So to to back up to your question, resiliency is understanding who he is. So that it can define who I am, because those are completely correlated. Um, and in order, once I know that, once I get a grip on that, I can then be resilient because I can stand on his faithfulness. I can stand on, oh, he is the same God who, yes, was there when Jonah got swallowed by that whale, but he was the faithful God who still brought Jonah out from his sin when he was running away and that's when from this point on i had been running and running and running from god from this i didn't want fake emotion i didn't want fake experiences i wanted something real so this resiliency when you ask me to do this podcast i have to say I I asked several people, why did he ask me? I can give you a list of the top 25 ways not to be resilient based on my life and my experiences. But, you know, Hmm. uh, hopefully that helps someone, knowing how I haven't been resilient um, and, and, and knowing I don't have the key, I don't have the exact key. But sometimes to me, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, I hope, um, some of my mental health challenges and things coming to terms with my own identity. um, Several things happened, have happened in my life that changed my identity because I didn't have a good grasp of who I was or whose I was, I guess I could say. Like my parents, I didn't want to be theirs. I didn't want to be a sister to my brother. I didn't want to be in the situation. I wanted to be away from it. You know, I I couldn't even dream. Like I literally couldn't even have dreams of my future. I never thought about growing up and getting married. I never thought about going off to college. I never thought about anything other than the here and now. And, And To be resilient, you have to be able to think ahead. You have to be able to see, you know, draw that goal chart, you know, like to, in order to get up every day and run the 85 miles you run a day, you know, you had to start somewhere. You started with the goal chart or you started with a little star, star on the calendar, whatever you people do, you runners, like, you know, buy a new pair of shoes every time you hit another mile or I don't know. So, like, you have to have small goals to be resilient, but you have to know who you are and that there are boundaries. There's going to be failure. Every time I hit a failure, it stopped me in my tracks and I gave up every time because I didn't know who I was. I didn't know, you know, what my future could be. So, Um, that's a long answer, but in, in the process of what we're talking about here, mm -hmm. that's what spiritual resilience is to me is, is being in his presence and understanding. You bring up another
0: really good point. You have to have small goals to be resilient. And, and it's true. I think that we think that you, you immediately start off with these huge goals of, okay, I want to make $300,000. Well, you have to make $1 before you can make $300,000 in a, in a lot of cases yeah. and that's a small goal that's building up to that bigger goal of eventually having x amount of money so i think that we forget that you have to have those small goals in order to be able to develop and get those big goals in life now you explained yeah. what how what spiritual resiliency looks like to you in that sense but how what in what kind of a situation cuz i know you you've got a lot more to the story that we haven't even gotten to. Uh, and and, But I'd like to know a situation, a time or Mm -hmm. three or four, of when you had to rely on spiritual resilience in order to be able to make it through, to get through that situation you were going through in life.
1: Okay. Well, I'll I'll just go backwards instead of starting at the beginning. (laughs) We'll start from now and go backwards Um, because spiritual resilience... Resiliency was never something like you said in your intro. We we focus on the physical, the emotional, the mental part of our well-being, but we often overlook and 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 not think about spiritual resiliency. I always thought spirituality was um, uh, just something that you obtained, you know, like you, you just. <laughs> or you just had, because you went to church, you know, um, to being resilient. Who, um, I found recently spiritual resiliency in community. So my example is, um, five years ago, uh, Dan, my husband got a job at Caterpillar in South Carolina, and we moved. I We both lived in Ohio all of our lives. I was 45, and he was a little older <laughs> than that. And we moved down to South Carolina. I like I like, I like how family. you put that
0: very gingerly on him, too. A little older. Just a little. Just, just, just a
1: little. A li- he really is not that much older. Just a little. But he's older. <laughs> <laughs> so my daughter was going off to college. My son um, was moving out and going to, you know, doing his own life and getting an apartment on his own. Um, so I really kind of struggled. I'm like, no, 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 no. My kids need me. And Dan said, you know, honey, they're not going to need you as much as you think that they're going to need you. They're, they're in their young twenties. I said, but, oh gosh, if they need me for one minute, I want to be right there out of 365 days a year you know, and that's just the emotional part of me. That's just the dramatic Karen. Um, and he said, okay, well, you know, that's one way to go. <laughs> or we could go and see how South Carolina works for us and, and you know, they can visit, that kind of stuff. Let's just think about it. Let's pray about it. So we did. We thought about it. We, we did a lot more thinking and talking than praying at the time. And finally I said, okay, you know, this is a good opportunity for you. I want you to have every opportunity to advance and gosh, who doesn't love the beach? So let's, uh, let's go. So we came down to South Carolina and, um, for the first nine months or so, it was just kind of settling in. I had a lot to do. I got to, you know, uh, there were no kids. So I was working from home. I was finishing up some classes, you know, remotely through Kent State. And then I was designing a house, you know, like getting new furniture and fun stuff. You know, so about the first six months or so. Um, once all that was done, my husband, just the wise man that he is, said, you know, I think you need to get out and and, and talk to human beings. <laughs> you know, I was just talking to my cat. <laughs> it's just me and her. And even my job, there weren't, there wasn't a lot of, we weren't doing this, you know, over on online, we were, we were just typing. So he said, "When we should, it's time to find a church. So we found a church and it, uh, immediately I just wanted to be in it. You know, I just wanted to, I wanted to find out what there was for me in this area and how can I help and how can I serve? And, um, we got involved in small group and immediately just started feeling challenged by the pastor um, to share uh, what God has done for us and not only share, but just grow. Let him continue to do what he is planned, what, what he's already planned. Just give him an opportunity to do it and in order to do that. Be in the word, you know, get in community, uh, start doing your life with other people. That doesn't mean y'all, holy rollers, to stick together and only do what Christians do. We all go to Hobby Lobby and Chick fil A together and nothing else. And we, we wear one piece bathing suits at the beach, and you know, uh, like it, it's not that that's,
0: <laughs> it was, that's awesome, it's a little
1: different. Like, we're literally doing our lives messy, ugly nasty gross stuff you know like <laughs> not nasty gross you know what i'm saying just life is gross you know babies puking and you know um adoption and infertility and trauma and we were just doing life together and victories and buying houses and um so i felt good i felt good about where i was in my walk with god right so it had been, I would say, a solid year. Christmas had come and gone. I wasn't, I think my daughter came to visit. But, you know, a new year started. It was winter. It was quiet in the house. um, And I started to um, realize, oh, you know what? I'm not not all that good of a person. And I, I don't know what brought that on, that thought. I'm just not a very good human being. And I was kind of negative to Dan, so I'm really not a great wife. And, oh, gosh, I'm a terrible mom. My kids need me. You know, they're both struggling with certain things, and I'm not there. Oh, God, oh, I'm a terrible daughter. Sheesh, you know, like, the things I've done. And those thoughts would come, I would say, about once a month, you know, for a couple months, all this time I'm serving in the church. I'm part of the worship team. Um, we're giving, we're sharing. Um, you know, we're living life with other Christians and community, but I'm not talking about this stuff because, you know, it's just their thoughts. But because I didn't talk about it and I didn't share, um, the once a month thoughts started coming more like once a week and once every two, three times a week, where I would just feel so tired you know, and I knew I was moody. I was depressed. I missed my family. I missed my daughter. Um, So I would just go to bed early, uh, which again, not being a great wife, you know, and I wouldn't always have any dinner <laughs> done, like things like that, things just to bless my husband. I wasn't, wasn't doing what I could. And so it just made me feel more miserable. And then the thoughts started coming more like once a day, and then it got to be once every couple hours, once an hour. And I would say by fall, it was every minute of every day. I was different when I was in church, and I was different when I was home. Like I had fallen into a trap in my mind and I couldn't get out, like there was a door, a trap door. And my foot was stuck in it, and I just kept pulling on it, and it was like quicksand just pulling me farther in. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. I was so angry. Uh, and, I mean, I could worship. I could worship with the best of them, and I felt God. And I was praying for people. I had a list of people that I was spending great amount of times praying for and, and ministering to. In the process of all that, my prayers felt like they were just bouncing off the ceiling, and I would read, and it wouldn't—I wouldn't understand it. The read the word, and I wouldn't get it. I just wanted it so bad. I'm like, what? And so I just kept living life. I must, I'm i am a bad Christian. I'm a bad daughter of God. I'm a bad musician. I'm old. Nobody wants to hear me sing. Nobody wants to hear me play. What? You know, it was—it was bad. It was rough. And so many times I wanted to be done. I was tired. I was really tired. Um, so I started making plans, serious plans um, to be done. Um, I, could, I could take a trip and it would be very easy to not come home, you know, um, to, to make it look like an accident. I'm a planner, I'm an organizer. So I was gathering financial documents. I was gathering life insurance passwords and making sure my husband had everything he needed to know for when I wasn't going to be there. It was, I was planning and it was as soon as he would walk out the door, I would get my folder out and I would make the plans and I, I was ready. And it was, I was more certain about this than breath in the air. That I was going to do it. You know, suicide ideation is uh, tricky because some people say, oh, a lot of people have it. A lot of people have those thoughts about suicide. It doesn't mean you're actually going to do it. Um, but boy, um, speaking, talking, not living in your own shame is the way out of that cycle. And I had never learned to talk about my shame. I had never learned to honest be honest with my flaws and my failures. I, I could tell you that you know I don't always read the word every day that's a flaw but my deep heart things I didn't think I could change. I don't think I can change my mental I mean it, I hope someone will forgive me if I say this word it's the craziness that I felt in my head I felt. Crazy. Look, no one else is like me. No one else th- thinks like this. And if they do, they're doomed too. You know, it, it was it was so strong. I couldn't talk myself. And I'm a you know me, I'm a glass half full person. Oh, yeah. So if a friend comes over and says, I have this problem, I had an answer for them. I had prayer, I had the word, I had worship. I had the presence of God. I had everything, every tool that they needed, but I didn't have it for myself because I didn't know where it was mm-hmm. coming from. Like it's all, it's almost easy to play the game in what if, mm-hmm. but when the reality, you know, happens and you're in it, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't come out of it. So, so many times, to- I'm sorry. No, you're
0: good. Karen, uh, I think that we forget too often that you you can't give out what you don't have yourself but that also works in the reversal you know you're you're giving out a ton and you didn't leave anything mm-hmm. on the side for yourself because you are yeah. you're a very giving person you're you're somebody that invests heavily in the relationship that you have with other people I know this from personal experience yeah. So I know that you also invested in my wife a lot with a lot of those things, and you really learned how to open up about a lot of this stuff. So whereas you were feeling the craziness come and set in, sorry, lack of a better term, one that you used yourself, mm-hmm. the craziness that you felt kind of setting in and that that heaviness of the fog coming down, um, yeah. there was, was a it? lot of ways that… the fog that the people around you, because you had invested in those people and you'd invested in those relationships, what did they start to see to help you come out of that?
1: So, um, Dan, of course, saw something, um, because I really wasn't talking, but he would hear me. Oh, I mean, you drop a spoon and I'd say something really mean about myself. Just dropped a spoon. I couldn't stop the words from coming out of my mouth, you know? So I was so critical of myself and I would make fun of myself. Um, So he would send me texts in the middle of the day and just, you know, hey, sweetheart, are you okay? And, um, oh, you know how many times I started a text? Nope, not okay. I just wanted to tell him, but I deleted it. So I probably spent. Uh, I probably started about 20 or 30 texts or messages or dialed phone numbers to Lena or, you know, uh, to my husband to say, I need something. I, I know this isn't right. I need to change. Something has to change. But I couldn't do it. Like I couldn't follow through. So I don't know that anyone saw Outside of my really close inner circle, which was just you, um, I actually did have a really close friend in Ohio. We we were still uh, she's one of the sweetest people, my a coworker of mine. She's one of my best friends, and during this time, we really grew apart. Like not having uh, personal conversations anymore, uh, just business only business. Just get the work done, and I would, I would sign in, I would sign out. Um, so she noticed and it turned into me being, um, scared that she was going to replace me in a job or something. I mean, it was, there was so many weird things happen. I'm a terrible coworker, all those terrible things I am. So I thought she was justified to do it. So we, there was a strain on my relationships with my friends for sure back home because I was so isolated. But one day I pulled up a text and I texted your wife and said, I'm not okay. I need help. I mean, I'm I'm stuck. And, she, and it was 22 minutes. She was at my front door, um, sitting Indian style on my floor. And she just listened. She heard everything I had to say. And she, your wife, when your wife prays, I, I almost picture God leaning up on the edge of his seat to hear, you know, like she, like she, again, not commanding, not, you know, like in a determined type of prayer, like, you know, you claim that we would be blessed and let's, you know, claim it, and name it. Like she's not that prayer person. She is the person that knows the word. And she prays the word. And when I say the word, I say the truth. She says the truth in her prayers. And that's what I had been missing. I had been so depressed with the lies that I just needed to hear another person say the truth. And it was—I've had low times— this was the lowest. Um, but I can tell you, since that day, I have never been as low, never again. So there was a healing that took place, and the healing came from the truth wow. being spoken in my home. And the truth being spoken to me from someone who God put right in front of me, gave me this resource, and this resource. Had been playing, had had been playing this role of life with you for years before I knew her. Had met Jesus on her own. Had been growing in the truth of the Lord. Had been had come into my life at just the right time. Like there was no coincidence about that. God wanted to heal me on that day, at my lowest mm-hmm. point, and He did on that day. So. Your question was about how resilience, how spiritual resiliency and a story about this. Spiritual resiliency to me is not only the presence of God, but it is hearing and knowing and speaking the truth. And when I say truth, I mean the mm-hmm. capital T, the truth. Um, you know, we, we live in a culture, it, it, good and bad, that we speak our own truth. You know, we speak our own truth. And again, good and bad, you know, sometimes people need to know themselves. They need to speak how they're feeling. They need to speak their emotions. They need to speak their fears and their confusion. That's their truth. That's what they're living in. Of course, but the capital T truth is for me and my life and my spiritual resiliency is going right back to. Look, you were born into this family that you didn't understand. You didn't feel that you fit in. Because the truth is, you don't fit in here. You don't fit here in this world. Where you fit is back in the arms of your father, who you were created in his likeness with all of his love. I mean you want to talk about emotion, God's not an emotional God. Imagine the type of, emotion's not the word, but imagine the type, the amount of love that it took to give up a part of yourself, to become human in this time, to give everything for me, for you for us, because he just wanted us to be back. He just wanted us close again. Like imagine that amount of love, that unconditional love that I never felt, I never knew. So spiritual resiliency is knowing that truth and living in that truth and reminding yourself and others of that truth, because immediately I was no longer shy about my shame. I was no longer shy about my fears about my, um, you know, my depression. Um, I I didn't run out and scream it to my neighbors and scare them. But, you know, when I had an opportunity to talk about it, I did. I had a voice and I, I certainly say that was, that was my healing and my healing is continuing. It's continuing to go on. So
0: Karen, take a moment. And I want you to speak to that one person out there who is maybe going through the same thing, going through those same thoughts. I want you to speak to that one person and just give them the best advice you wish you had received yourself. Speak to Karen. Mm -hmm.
1: All right. Well, this is the time right now. This podcast is going to come out. This is time for resolutions. Um, It's a new year. Um, new year, new you. Uh, that's way, way overset. And I get it. I completely get it. Because a new you seems like it's a distant memory. It seems like something that you could never change in a million years. You're so far behind the bar. You know, you have wasted time and you've hurt yourself because you haven't Taken the correct steps yet. And I get it. I absolutely get it. But it is never, ever, ever too late. I'm going to tell you right now that in this very moment, there's a God who is closer than a breath on your cheek, who loves you. He sees you. He sees everything about you. And he could never, ever love you less or love you more. You are exactly where he needs you to be to make your life something that is resilient, to make your physical, emotional, mental, spiritual life one that is in balance. Um, So take just one small step. My advice is and talk to someone. You may not have told anyone, you may have told several people and they just don't hear you. They don't believe you. Try again. Try until someone hears you. There are a lot of counselors. If you're in the South Carolina area, I can certainly recommend my counselor, Crystal McCall in Somerville, who is an amazing listener. Um, But anywhere you are, there's help and there's hope. and. Jesus loves you absolutely
0: anywhere you are there he is hey Karen mm. thank you you did I know you were so thank nervous you. I know you were nervous <laughs> but you did so good and and I mean you know we have Thanks. to do this we have to do it at least once
1: uh yes uh, bring it, on. are you sure <laughs> it's not the last part, <laughs> I'm used to immense applause. let bring it on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, okay, listen. Uh, we've gone through this whole time, and I know that you've got book recommendations. You know how it goes. We always have to ask for a book recommendation. So what is your book recommendation for our listeners?
1: Well, my book recommendation, um, first of all, if you love fiction and you love good stories that sort of tear-jerk, um, and you love to know more about God and his nature. There's a great Christian author named Frank Peretti who wrote a book called The Oath. And um, it's even something you could just start reading. There's other books he wrote in like a series of darkness, and there's angels and demons, not quite angels and demons like Dan Brown, but like this is more biblically. Um, I don't know aligned I wouldn't say correct certainly but it's it's from an imagination of spiritual warfare and it kind of gives you a really fun perspective to see good and evil and the um, the, the lengths that they go through to like really take over you know to take over someone's thought process and to take over their lives it's really it's an amazing book, The Oath. It's my favorite book of all time. In fact, the fun fun fact, my husband and I, when we met, um, we met as friends because I was recently divorced, and I didn't want anything serious. I just wanted to have a friend, and we were both avid readers, and he said, bring your favorite book, and we're going to meet at Denny's as friends, and he, I brought The Oath, and he brought Atlas Shrugged by uh-huh. A.R.A. Ran, it was a seventeen hundred page book. I thought, oh, this guy is so out of the <laughs> league. <laughs> like, there's no, but you know, thank goodness he put up with me. But it's a great book, and of course, I recommend. Um, you can get it free at, at any church in the nation in any language. Now you can get it online. There are so many resources and so many ways to get the Holy Bible written in everyday language or written in old school Latin, these and thou, if that's (laughs) what you prefer. But it is uh, my highest recommendation for a roadmap to any part of your life.
0: Well, I am so glad that you took the time to sit down and have this conversation. We could go on for hours upon hours just going through some of these
1: yeah, I've, I've got three more decades to talk about. <laughs> and, <laughs> just, I'm gonna just catch me on my next book. <laughs> and, and I mean,
0: even recently, every single time that y'all make an adjustment, that, that you know, something seems to happen, but yet there's that comma. But
1: God, yeah, yeah, He's always faithful. He's always here, and um, it's not always an emotion. It's not always on an mm-hmm. emotional high. Oftentimes, it's just so simple and, and, and quiet and those are the most powerful times for me. You know, it's easy to feel God at church when they're singing all those amazing songs about how blessed you are just because you have a smile mm-hmm. on your face. But that we know that's not always the truth. No. So you know God He's He is whew, He is as faithful as anything. Adults about to bark. A, so oh brace
0: yourself. Baker, gotta love it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Hey, today's episode is only possible thanks to my friend and producer, G. Frazier with 369sounddesign.com. He is truly the one with the hardest job to try to make me sound good each and every single week. Uh, This whole new year, this new, new time in our lives, we are blessed by the entire team here at the wartime leadership podcast see you next time be blessed